Well, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you have a device that you can do that on, then you can just point and pick the chapter. No judgment if you'd like to use one of those devices. They work very well. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is a praise poem from a person named Hannah that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Chapter 2 says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like our God. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him the de- his deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken. But those who are stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are left hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and he has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Lord Most High will thunder from heaven. The earth, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli, the priest. You know, this is God's word and it's, it's good all the time. And today, as we look at what this praise poem might mean, I'd like us to think back to, since it's just the end of January, I'd like us to think back to those Christmas cards. Anyone get Christmas cards? Christmas letters? You know, it's the end of January, so your Christmas lights can come down, and your Christmas cards can come off the wall, and if you haven't read the letters, you're probably not going to, let's just be honest. So put them away or throw them away, whatever you need to do. But, you know, I have this, I don't know, I have this thing with Christmas cards because, well, you know, sometimes people follow the one-page stand, the one-page rule. Then you have other people that, you know, use nine-and-a-half font. Sure, they double-space it, but they add pictures, they go both sides. It's like you're breaking the rules of Christmas cards, okay? And, well, I might have changed a few names and places for the sake of and anonymity, but Merry Christmas from the Larsons. Well, it's been a while since we've written a Christmas letter, so we figured it's about time to catch up with everyone. We hope our Christmas will be filled with love and joy, and and we hope yours is too. Jeff, 25, continues his studies at prestigious university working on his master's degree. He also works part-time in a faculty department at another prestigious university and is a teaching assistant at at that school. We're glad that he was able to come home both this summer and for Christmas. Katie, who's 23, graduated in May of last year from prestigious university with a double major in business accounting and international studies. She started working in her career last summer as a tax consultant at a very prestigious company in, of course, California. 
and Katie has been completing her CPA. She passed the first time through and is currently on assignment in New York for a four-month project. We're glad she spent Thanksgiving with us and we're looking forward to having her home at Christmas. Amber, 21, is a senior at prestigious university in Boston where she is double majoring in outdoor education and psychology. Her summers have been busy leading backpacking trips in the Appalachian Mountains, and last summer she spent two months in England, Scotland, and Wales studying art history. Her adventures will begin in May of next year as she graduates, and we're also excited that she's home for Christmas. Well, I continue to write full-time for my blog that now has 5,000 followers, and Mark continues to work in this world and go and teach in this other part of the country, and we've been able to enjoy many cross-country trips to all those free parks nationally that you never got to go to. <laughs> right? Okay, I might have made up the last part. <laughs> but outside of the, the names and places, I didn't change anything. There are just some people in the world that love, love, love to give all their great things. You know, I think maybe it's part of, uh, in all seriousness, being made in God's image and then choosing to live independent of that. And when we do that, we have this sin tendency or this focus to just think about ourselves, to put a spotlight on ourselves, whether it's our needs, our wants, whether it's our successes or our failures, or whether it's even our protection. And we get this kind of idea of going all for ourselves. And in my own efforts to not be one of these families, we often don't write Christmas letters. But I realized that when we do that, we're actually denying the opportunity to tell about how God has worked in our family and in our lives. And so there's this tension, I think, that we face. How often is it pompous Christmas cards or promoting our successes on social media, which our culture is all too fascinated with doing? And how often do we miss the opportunity to truly share testimony? Testimony just means telling our story in God's story, talking about how he's worked in our lives and the good things that he's done in the world. There are many people that will never read a Bible there are many people that might never go to church, but if we have the courage and the understanding to just simply share testimony, then people will hear what God is doing. So Jesus challenged people to love God first and most. He challenged peop people to love others, and he challenged people to love themselves. But part of following Jesus means that we are letting God's spirit transform us from being a self-centered person who focuses on their own ambition and their own successes to an other-centered person who focuses on, yes, seeing God's work in them, but also through them so that the world might be blessed and the needs of the world might be met. And as we look at this story from Hannah, we'll see that that's exactly what happens. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh man, I, you know, I like public speaking about as much as I like getting a root canal. But again, testimony means more than just speaking in public. See, oftentimes testimony starts with taking action. This is incredibly true in our culture. We say, if you love God, then you take action. And, and a lot of people do that in our culture today, that 
that aren't even believers. I mean, if you wear Tom's shoes, you know that if you buy a pair of Tom's shoes, then you get a pair and someone else in a third world country gets a pair. Pretty cool concept. Or if you buy a Love Your Melon hat, then you know that I'm giving, like, I get a stylish hat, but part of that money goes to cancer research. That's helping someone else, and that's good. For restoration, we sponsor 30 students at Westview Elementary right across the street. We make sure that these 30 students have a full bag of groceries or snacks or food for the weekends where there's this gap because they get school breakfast, they get school lunch, but when they go home, there's not enough food to go around. So every time you give to restoration, in the same way as you buy a Tom's shoes or you get a Love Your Melon hat, we've put it into our budget so that we're never too high, we're never too low. We know that that happens and those 30 students get the food they need. You participate when we do this thing, Food on the First, that we've done since the first day we met. That the first Sunday of every month, we bring groceries or gift cards to the front, and we make sure that those get to families in need. They don't have to fill out long paperwork. It's just something that we've said, this is what we do because this is who we are. We are people who take action. Again, taking action is a good thing. But sometimes it's hard to tell between good people doing good things and people doing God's thing. And so it's got to go beyond our successes or our failures and even beyond taking action to this thing that I'll just call sharing testimony. Telling your story in God's story. Hannah shows us how to do it, and if you need to know why, like I said, we get this tunnel vision where we get focused on ourselves, where we can't see beyond our success or our failure, and then we get super excited or super depressed, and it's like this all the time. But another reason why we need to do this is because God is still present, and oftentimes people don't realize that. Because the world looks like it's not that God's not present, often. But testimony reminds us of how he is still working in the world, and how even though things don't look that way, that God is moving and sharing and serving. I think another reason why testimony is so, so important is because people hide their challenges and they hide their struggles. One of the reasons that we're doing Football Sunday, quite frankly, is because of the messages that come out in these people that appear outwardly so successful. They share their struggle because let's be honest, like while we might be impressed with someone's success, we're actually inspired when someone shares their weakness. It draws us closer to them. It gives us a connection with them. I was, in a, I was in a Bible study on Thursday morning, and this person that was there was sharing, uh, well, how do we even know this is true? And, you know, how can you sit across the table and you tell me that this is how God still works? And all of a sudden, two different people shared about struggle and loss in their life. And immediately, this person just opened up. That's what sharing struggle does. Giving testimony doesn't mean we say everything's awesome. We say, this is where God's worked, and this is what God's done in my life, and this is where he works. And finally, Psalms say that we should come and declare, come and hear, Psalm 66. Come and hear, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he's done. In Psalm 107, let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of nations. This is who God's people are. We're a people of deed and we're a people of word. And so Hannah, who we've been talking about all month, 
is someone just like you and me. She's an ordinary person who's trying to do the right thing and yet she's desperate for one thing. Have you ever been there where you're just trying to do the right thing and trying to do the right thing and you're just desperate for this one thing and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether you really believe God or not that really the only way that that's gonna happen is if God intervenes. If there is this super powerful, super good God, then, then he has to show up in this situation. And that's the kind of desperate prayer that Hannah prays. In fact, we called it last week an outrageous prayer. And you brought up outrageous prayers. And that's the cycle we see all throughout scripture. This isn't really about getting something. Hannah does receive a son and she gives this vow that she says, if you give this to me, God, I know that it's from you and I will give it back to you. This isn't just about her returning to give back her son. This is really a cycle that's seen all throughout the scriptures where someone prays an outrageous prayer, where they believe that God hears it and they respond with trust. And then when God does answer it, they have to complete the cycle by going before him and telling others about what he's done so that their faith can be built up And Hannah shows us exactly how to do it. First, she starts by giving thanks for God's work in her life. And if you want to share a testimony, if you're wondering how, or maybe I'm convincing you just a little bit that you could do this, number one, you just start by giving thanks for how God's worked in your life. Hannah, now we would expect... Hannah, to talk about the ways that she succeeded, that finally after years of bitter rivalry with her husband having this second wife that could provide children because she couldn't provide children, that finally she would be victorious, that that's what she would talk about. And yet there's only one line that even gives a little hint that that might be part of the process. My mouth boasts, and yet it doesn't boast in her victory. My mouth boasts in your deliverance. I delight in your deliverance. My mouth boasts over my enemies. There's the one line that might be focused on that. Otherwise, the other three lines are completely about her love for God and how he's worked in her life. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn or my strength is lifted high. For I delight in your deliverance. There is no one like our God. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. This is how she starts, describing the love that she has for God and how he's worked in her life. And if you're still wondering how this might work, think about something you love. I mean, that you absolutely, if there was any amount of free time and money was no object, that you would do this. You have something? Now, how hard is that to talk about? I mean, I'll be honest. One of the things I love, besides my wife and my children and Jesus, is peanut butter. I love 
peanut butter. I used to be totally addicted to Peter Pan peanut butter because it would just melt the best, but then I discovered this pretty good natural peanut butter that also has sugar because let's be honest, it just, it just needs to be sweetened a little bit. But this, this 100% natural, this melts like nobody's business. I had this thick waffle this morning that was about a half inch deep in the little things and the, the peanut butter just melted so it created little pools of peanut goo- gooey goodness. Oh my gosh. I almost couldn't make it to church. It was so good. But then I thought, oh, there's this chance I can tell you about it. (laughs) That's how Hannah starts. Kind of. (laughs) Maybe she's, no, I think she's that excited. But it's not focused on her success. It's just a piece of what testimony is. Because it's your story in God's story. And that's where she sees this shift. She tells of what God's work means for others in the world today. After she gives thanks to God publicly for what he's done in her life, she then transfers and shifts to God's work and what it means for others. Like she goes through this because if this God can answer my prayer after years and years of years of not being able to do something I desperately wanted to do, and he hears me, and I'm no one special then what does that mean for you? Person who's been waiting and wanting and desperate for something. And it doesn't have to be a child like it's Hannah. It could be anything. It could be seeing your family restored. It could be finally getting the patience that you've so desperately wanted in your life to be really actually kind to the people around you. It might be seeing someone you care about really come to understand who God is. These are the type of prayers that are just like Hannah's. And when we hear how God has worked in her life, it helps others to say, maybe God could work in my life that way. And that's, again, what testimony does. Hannah goes through and she talks about people being humbled and others being exalted. She talks about a barren woman having seven children. Interesting thing, Hannah never had seven children. She did end up having five, but it's not really about her. It's about how this God who has worked in her life continues to work in the world. It opens people's eyes up because they've heard this story from someone that maybe God could work in that way again because God's character doesn't change. And then finally, she points to God's work beyond today to his bigger purpose. She points to God's work beyond today to a bigger purpose. In verses 9 and 10, God talks about guiding the path of the righteous. He talks about opposing the proud and the wicked. And then he talks about giving strength to his king. Now again, interesting, at this time there is no king. Samuel, her son, is not destined to be king. So what's that about? Well, it could be that the writer who wrote after Samuel was alive knows that Samuel anoints the first king of Israel and the second king of Israel, and that maybe he's trying to foreshadow this and give a theological reason for it. And it could be. It could be that Hannah, in this moment of praise, is talking about how God works and knows that he anoints people to do certain things, and that if he anoints them, that he will give them strength. And so, though she doesn't know exactly what it might mean, she is pointing to God's bigger purpose, that, that the birth of this child, Samuel, is the first sign of God rescuing his people. 
Because again, this isn't about Hannah. I mean, it's a little bit about Hannah. But it's about the fact that Hannah's life and the nation of Israel, the people, are actually in a very similar place. It says at the beginning of this book that the word of the Lord is rare. It's not heard very often. And the people right before this time were the time of the judges. There was no king and people did whatever they wanted to. And so there was this moral chaos and this political instability and and they were desperate to have some godly leadership. Sounds a lot like Hannah. A woman who's desperate to have a child. The nation is desperate to see God working in their lives. Hannah's in this marriage rivalry where she's got this other person. It's in earlier in chapter one. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but Penaniah and will provoke Hannah year after year, trying to invalidate her and speak so bad that she, when she goes to worship God year after year, she can't even sing or eat. She's in this marriage rivalry. Well, guess what? The people of Israel are in a marriage rivalry themselves. They worship God one day, and then they go and worship other gods this other day. They're going back and forth and back and forth, and this story is just a snapshot of the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. He is calling his people to come under his godly leadership, to give their lives over to him. And sharing testimony can help us point our story to God's work in the world and then to God's larger purpose in the world. Because see, Samuel anoints the first king, but then he anoints the second king. And it says, when when King David is anointed, there is peace in the land. Because one godly person decides to, to give their life to serve God and lead others to do the same, there's peace in the land. Now let's be honest. Would we like peace in our land? Regardless of your political affiliations, would you like peace in your land? Would you like peace in your home? Would you like peace in your everyday life? See, the birth of this child and giving him to the God is saying, I'm letting you take this gift that I could use for myself, that I could use to hold up my success and let him be a gift for the whole world. Uh, that might not mean you and I have to give over our beloved firstborns, but it might mean that we actually have a gift inside of us that God wants us to bring before him. And when we do, It will go well beyond us. It will go well beyond our successes and it will make his name great. It will bring peace to the land. And ultimately, the descendant of David is the one who is called Jesus, the anointed one, the one who comes and makes all things right. So we don't just have peace in a political land, but we actually have peace with God because he takes all the sin of the world and he puts it upon himself and he dies on a cross and he gives his life for us. And because of his sacrifice, he defeats sin, he defeats Satan, and he defeats death. And he gives us his spirit where we can actually live out what God is doing all throughout the book from beginning to end. That's what testimony is about. And when you share it in a small group or in a larger group, that's what you're doing. Because the world needs hope. And it can't just come from a few people There's actually very few ways to do it wrong other than to just not do it. 
God still works through ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. That's why we started this church, because we said, you know what, too many people sit on the sidelines of their faith or of a church, and they think, oh, it's a professional person that's got to do that. Well, one by one, ordinary people, average people, even above average people have said, oh, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, and amazing things are happening We started this disciple groups initiative because we wanted to be able to have others, truly, just someone who says yes to Jesus, be able to help someone else say yes to Jesus and develop that faith. And so this fall we started that. We'll give you an update in the vision update meeting, but we had a story that really is a testimony from that group of someone that shared. And I'd just like you to listen to it because it, it again, shares how how we start with thanking God for what he's done, how we point to his work beyond us and in the world, and then how we point beyond that to his bigger purpose. This person says, the, the disciple group's experience came into my life at the perfect time. In fact, I only wish I had discovered it much earlier in life. I'd attended church and participated in many Bible studies over two decades, but I'd never gone through anything like this group. After years of dealing with loss and multiple crises, I struggled deeply with my faith. I was actually at a point where I not only questioned God's presence in my life, but I was pretty sure he'd either abandoned me or was punishing me for something. The way I grew up learning about God forced me to question if my faith was good enough. If I'd made him angry, or if the times during which I thought he was leading, that I clearly knew nothing about how God leads people. I had so much church and teachings in my history, but the way my life was going, I realized everything I thought I understood was completely opposed to what my life had become. I was ready to give up on church and maybe even give up on God. And when I heard about the disciple group's opportunity, I just sensed this, that I needed to try one more time. So I joined. The only way I can describe this group is that it is an experience an experience that has given me a greater understanding of God and Jesus. It has inspired in-depth questions and stronger connections in my life and with others. It's added a richness to the act of learning God's word through history and meaning and purpose. And it has introduced me to the expansive love of God. That he does still speak through his word. That he does still use ordinary people. In fact, I think he might even use me. I've thoroughly enjoyed every session and can't ever wait to go back. My heart fills each time I get closer and closer to him through his word. And not only that, it's impacted my perception in my whole life, leading me to trust him with my daily decisions at work, in my parenting, and pursuing my relationship with him. There aren't enough ways to describe the joy this has brought to my life. I wish everyone could experience this. I'm so completely grateful. I would say to this person, you just did. You wish everyone could experience this? By sharing this, you just did. You give people a glimpse of not only what God's doing in your life, but how God works beyond your life, how he works in this group, and then how it impacts the world. So think about when you've ever shared a testimony. And think about, would you? Share a testimony. Simply tell your story in God's story.
Sometimes when we do that, we picture it having to be this perfect product. Well, we're going to look at a video. It's from an NFL player, again, not part of next week's Football Sunday, where this particular person didn't actually have this vision to do something. He just knew that the things that were happening in his life, all the success, were really not bringing satisfaction. And because he knew God, he just started saying, what can I do? And one thing became one thing that became one thing that grew into something that became a testimony. Take a look. In high school, you know, you're the popular kid because, you know, you're a good athlete. People look up to you. And, they, and then in college, you know, you think you're the man because you, you're about to go to get drafted in the NFL. And so it creates a, an arrogance about you that falls on you if you're not careful. It really started with me. I had an identity crisis coming into the NFL. I didn't know who I was in Christ, which is the most important thing is to know who you are in Christ and know your purpose. You know, my rookie year, go you know, play a football game and break all these records and do all this and go home and just sit down and be like, kind of like feel empty. And I was like, there's gotta be something more. What profit a man to gain the entire world but lose his soul? And I thought about that, I'm like, man, you got all these things, you, you're drafted, you play in the NFL, you have money, you can buy what you want, but all that means nothing if you lose your own soul. And so I didn't want to be that guy that has all these material things and all these accomplishments that are given by the world and then in the end lose my soul. And I did not want to be that guy who didn't give back to God what he already had given me. And that's when I woke up and was like, I need to be doing more in the community, mentoring young kids, doing more as a husband. And so in 2013, I started my foundation, uh, the Matt Forte, What's Your Forte Foundation, where we mentor kids and we want to find out what their forte is. And so in Chicago, we hear about the gun violence and everybody goes on TV and they talk about it, but nobody goes into the neighborhood and actually engages in those kids and show them that, hey, I care about you. You know, I just wanted to be a, a, a light, shine a light for, for God in that area of darkness where, you know, kids are getting killed, just innocent bystanders on, on you know, standing on the street because there's no uh, youth center for them to go play at or they may not go to the playground because there's other transactions going on in the playground where they're not, they can't be over there. So every Saturday last year, I would go to Inglewood in um, the south side of Chicago, you know, started off slow, get the kids together. Then more and more started coming and we would, um, you know, entice them to be there and we were gonna play uh, flag football. But the first thing we did was sit them in a circle and, you know, have a mentoring kind of conversation with them about what it's like to be a man. Kind of just tell them my story and where I come from and just kind of connect with them on a deeper level. At first it was something that he wanted to do for boys. And I was like, where do I fit in with boys in sports? I went to college for PR and marketing and went to art schools and was in choirs. Like that was, the artsy side is my side. So where do I fit in? He was actually doing an event and I was like, 
you guys need to do this and need to just be a wife. Then they're like, no, Danielle, we need you. And I was like, okay, here we go. Cause I'm supposed to be my husband's help me. And it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, it's my time to actually step in and help him. And as the foundation grew, we decided to do what's your forte. Every kid is not an athlete. And we decided, what, what is it? Do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a photographer? What is it? And then we decided, why would we close it off to just boys? We could be a blessing to girls too. So I decided, you know what? I could be the person that helps them and helps them figure out, why are you insecure? There's no reason to be insecure. God loves you. God is here for you. And nothing else matters but that. But if they don't have someone to show them and to talk to them, how else are they gonna get there? Chicago will always be home. My family's in Chicago, I'm from Chicago. So everyone that we need to support us, they're there and they're willing to help. If you go there constantly and you have a relationship with these kids, they know that you care about them and you wanna see them succeed and it gives them incentive to wanna do that as well. God may use you to uh, impact a major problem that's going on in the world. We have to be the example for him, be his hands and his feet, so that we can impact so many more people. I don't know if you caught this, but when Danielle talked about this foundation, it didn't really have a name, it didn't quite have a thing, it was... Matt's saying, I gotta do something. I know, because the things that I'm doing in my life, they just aren't ultimately satisfying. I gotta, I gotta do something. So it started with him going and playing football on Saturdays with some boys. That was their foundation. It wasn't this thing that was this end product, but as they stepped into their taking action, this vision emerged for what God might do with it, and it became a testimony. So whether you have this testimony that's complete or whether you need to just start taking action and letting that vision emerge, either way, there will be a testimony because God calls us to be a light in this world. And if Hannah can do it and I can do it, you can do it. This is what God calls us to. This is his adventure because people need to hear it. So will you step into it? And as we do, that vision will emerge for us too. Those things that God calls us to will continue to come out. And as we offer them back to God, they'll go far, far beyond us. Because God is not finished yet with this world. He is still bringing it to this ultimate completion that will become one in Christ, that will have a new heaven and a new earth, that everything will be undone that was not done in God's intent, and we will see this heaven, this God, and this world come together. As we come uh, to the, near the end of our service, we consider what it might be to offer what we have back to God. That definitely includes our financial offerings, but goes more to what do we have that we know God has given us, that we might have prayed for, but we just, it's absolutely clear that he's given it to us, and we need to give it back to him. So I'd like you to take a moment and consider that and what it would mean to share that.
Holy Spirit, we come to you. We are listening for you. Regardless of how much church we have or how long we've been trying to listen to you, we listen to you in this moment. God, we thank you for the stories that we've heard, whether from the Bible or from people's lives, of what it means to give testimony. God, and now we consider what it would mean to give you testimony through our offering, through giving of our time and our talents and even our treasures to you, God. For a world that's in need, for a kingdom that can be built, for this new heaven and new earth to come to completion and for us to be a part of it, God, to partner with you. God, would you speak to us about what we might need to offer beyond today, even beyond our church, God, for your kingdom and your glory. And we give this, this treasure to you, God, these finances to you, whether we give them online or we give them in this bag or we put that connection card with the people that we would love to see come to know who you are. God, we, we offer these things that we hold dear to us, to you, so you can use them for your purpose and your glory. Amen.